All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sports Medicine Project. Now, it's just me today without my partner. Kelly has a patient, and I know she's fuming she couldn't get to be on this episode because we're here with Dr. Ahmad Malik. Now, he is over in the UK at the moment, and you guys know by you know seeing our Instagram and our previous podcast, we've been teasing you know this guest coming on for a while. So I'm super excited to get this episode out. So he is an orthopedic surgeon working at the Princess Grace Hospital as a and the London Foot and Ankle Clinic, which I hope and I haven't butchered. But I'm going to hand it straight over to him and and basically give us a bit of an introduction and and what he's all about. So yes, welcome on the podcast. Thanks, Blake. Um, as you can see, it's sunny over here in the uk mm. and then um, actually looks sunnier here than where you are <laughs> yeah it's not looking too good in my little um, basement of a room or my office <laughs> yeah so um no thanks for inviting me so um what am i all about whoa mm. um, i'm an orthopedic surgeon mm-hmm. um i was born in glasgow up mm-hmm. in scotland it's very gray and wet there um <laughs> and this is a long time ago 1975 Mm-hmm. Um, I think I always wanted to be a doctor. I was very fascinated by the you know healthcare system and mm-hmm. dissecting frogs and biology lessons and stuff like that. It was just I, I just found the whole mm-hmm. thing just fascinating. Yeah. There was a small time when I wanted to be a Top Gun fighter pilot after watching Top Gun, but oh how the new ones just about to come out! I'm so excited. I've booked that in next week, 25th of May. I can't wait. Yeah. So yeah, definitely wanted to be Maverick. But then my mum said, well, what are you going to do afterwards? Be a, a bus driver up in the skies. And that put <laughs> yeah. me off. Anyway, yeah. so, yeah, I became a doctor, studied up in Glasgow, came down to London for six months. And the rest is history. I just got sucked in by the vortex of big city life. Yeah. Um, but my, you know, whenever I made plans in life, it never really worked out. I, want, I wanted to be a general surgeon. I ended up being an orthopedic mm. surgeon. I wanted to be a hip surgeon. Then I ended up being a foot and ankle surgeon. I wanted to work in a central city teaching university hospital, you know, environment. I ended up working out in the sticks. So yeah, anyway, yeah. that's been my life. You know, whenever I made plans, God just laughed and thought, whatever. <laughs> you're not um, doing this. You're doing what we think. Yeah. yeah. And then four or five years ago, my dad was dying of cancer and I had this epiphany and I was like, why am I working like I am? Mm. So I left the NHS Mm. and went private um to have a better quality of life um mm. to work as long and as hard um and also working privately gives me the opportunity to treat patients the way i'd want to treat my family feeding mm. yeah. 40 patients in an afternoon clinic where everyone is just a number and like you're in mm. and out of a room i found that very stressful you know that's not the kind of healthcare. yeah 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 it's interesting and i mean that's a it's a common, I guess, complaint that we hear kind of in the allied health world, you know, sometimes that you just feel like a number because you're in and out, in and out. And when you're seeing that many patients, I guess you've got no choice in, in your spot. What um, What's the, the pathway? Because I'm sure it's different in the UK and Australia. What's the pathway of coming from medical school to orthopedic foot and ankle? Because you've got to go through a, a whole amount, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah it's not just a um, pull it out of the cereal box kind of thing. No, so you work like crazy in mm. high school to get the grades, to get into mm. university. Then you do five to six, seven years of university, depending if you do an additional degree or not. Mm. Um, so you come out of med school, 22, 23, 24. I came out at 22. Then you do a few years of junior med- um, medical training, then junior surgical training, then 
higher surgical training and that's it's two years three years five oh, years yeah and then yeah. fellowship which is one or two years and then yeah you, you bide your time looking for a consultant job so mm. i was cooked and ready to go as a consultant at the age of 36 yeah wow which and i went, and I went into med school at 18 yeah well wow. so half my life at, up until that point was just getting to <laughs> yeah and you loved every minute of it i'm sure <laughs> somewhat yeah. you can't yes. see it's audio but there's an eye roll there <laughs> it, yeah i mean well i mean yeah i mean it's not easy there's a lot of sacrifices there's a yeah. lot of sacrifices. yeah you know i look so, back and it was a gruel you know it was a grind it was tough mm, tough mm. is a, a consultant so mm. over here it seems like you you obviously go through your training and then you work privately. It tends to be the trend foot and ankle surgeons over here do a little bit of work in the public system and then predominantly a lot of their work in the private. So as a consultant, if you've got a private practice surgery where you're doing surgeries, that's what a consultant, that's what you are. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. over here is different. Um, you probably don't know this, but I did a fellowship in Sydney. So I know oh, how the system Oh, wow. Works. Two hours. Yeah, okay. Newcastle is two hours north. So very nice. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. You guys are a little bit more grounded and down to earth. Yeah, chilled out, intelligent. You're better more chilled out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chiseled jaw. No, so basically, um, yeah, I know how the system works over there. Over mm. here, I would say most doctors do 90% of their work in the NHS. Mm-hmm. And... If you're in an affluent area, then you do a little bit more private practice. Yeah. But very few people go out and do it, you know, just full-time private. Mm. Um, I think for a lot of people, they just feel like there's no safety net. It's mm. a big leap. You're mm. almost conditioned to be in the system. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say it's a cult, but the NHS, <laughs> is, you know, it just holds on to you. Um, mm. Mm. But, you know, there's there's a lot of good things about the NHS, but there's a lot of bad things about the NHS. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I can say this being on the outside and some people say, well, you would say that as conflict of interest. But <laughs> I mean, I was head of the department for three years and, wow. uh, you know, I was trying to do a lot of change and try and prove things. And that was the real wake up call. I just realized I had all this responsibility and mm. no power. Mm. I just learned helplessness. And the system is great for emergency healthcare. You know, if you're in a car accident, it'll scoop you off the tarmac and sort you mm. But then as soon as you go home, that's where everything goes pear-shaped. It's just yeah. Yeah. and inefficiency and mistakes. And it's just, it's just the system is just very yeah. broken. And it would be so hard to change, wouldn't it? Because it's huge. I mean, I mean, obviously it would be top down, but like it would just take forever to, to implement that kind of change. Take forever. And you know, I'm not saying it's funny, you know, so I'm a full time doctor and I really do believe in the NHS, but mm. it, it needs radical change. The thing mm. is, it rewards you for being mediocre mm. and not really excelling, not working hard. You, it's very difficult to get sacked. You've got a job for life. Mm. And the more efficient and hard working you are, mm. uh, you just get dumped more work on top of it. No one thanks you. There's no, you know, mm. there's no incentive to be hardworking. You don't get mm. rewarded for being more efficient. Mm. So, I mean, that's, I think, one of the main problems with the NHS. And if they can just crack that, then it would be so much better. But, you know, yeah. people will drag their feet and do the bare minimum, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah, yeah. So what's what's your setup um, at the moment? Do you, like, a couple of days consulting and then a couple of days surgery? Uh, no it's more consulting so yeah you know i you know we should let your 
viewers, listeners know, you know, you sent me some questions and you're talking mm. about your conversion rates and what people think surgeons are like. Um, I think like most of my peers, most of the financial surgeons I know will say that their conversion rate is around about 15 to 20%. So of, mm. if your listeners don't know what that means, it means like, mm. say, for example, 100 patients come and see me. Out of those 100 patients, you know, 20% will end up having surgery, mm. you know. And I would say that's pretty much like an average, you know, amongst mm. ankle surgeons. I think when it comes to private surgeons, I fit an ankle surgeons, I'd say it's even lower. Mm. Um, amongst my private full-time colleagues, um, I've heard figures of 10 to yeah, 20%. Wow. Which is incredibly um, low. Like that's really low. Like out of 100 yeah. patients, only, 10, you know, that's, yeah. yeah. I think my conversion rate is 5%. Yeah. So, well, because we, we were just talking like offline before about, you know, for, for younger clinicians, their kind of perception of, of surgery is, <clears throat> you know, it, it's not even worth a consult or an opinion or sending a patient that you're struggling with to see you guys because they'll just end up with surgery and something will go wrong. But with conversion, okay, rates, so for, for sure, there are some bad apples out there, mm. for sure. Okay. <clears throat> Where someone is just either, you know, just they don't have any other tool in their toolbox and there's and they just you know and i'm not saying there's some ulterior motive that financial right you mm. know i'm going to make money out of this operation but mm. they, they just simply don't have any other thing they can think of other than you need an operation for mm. sure there's some bad mm. apples like that but then i'll say it's like that in every walk of life every there's profession there's podiatrists i know who you know if you say you've got jaw pain they're like, oh you need an orthotic but <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to be saving some some death threats in the mail after that but we always yeah, I know. Well, i'm just i'm just thinking yeah. you can say this for everything yes, yeah. you know there'll be there'll be physios out there i know because my patients come and see me you go oh yeah i was told i need 50 sessions of physio <laughs> yeah four times I'm, a week yeah. but it's not just us yeah. it's everybody you know I'm, I'm i'm trying to get some patio slabs laid down and mm. there's some wild cowboys <laughs> yeah. you know they're yeah. trying to take me for a ride it's any walk of life there's mm. some bad apples out there but mm. generally speaking most people are good eggs trying to do a good job you know yeah um, and i think the problem is the bad apples taint a bad image of mm. whatever profession it is and you think they're all like that mm. um not really now i think the reason why the conversion rate is slightly lower in the private sector is twofold. One, in the NHS, a lot of these patients have gone through um, a local MSK pathway where they've been selected, sent for physio, sent for podiatry, and, and you know, they are just desperately in need of some form of surgery. Mm. So the kind of patient that the NHS consultant is seeing is one that's going to lend to a higher conversion because yeah. they've jumped through yeah. all the... Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Okay, so they've been, they've been hovering around the airport flying in vapors and they just need to land right mm. they don't need any more non-optifrain they just need treatment so their conversion mm. rates can be a little bit higher yeah and on the in the private sector you've got a lot of people who are very health conscious very fit and they've got access to healthcare, and they, you know they're picking up early oh mm. i've got this pain i've had it for four weeks and because you're getting there early mm. they don't necessarily they don't need surgery. What they need mm. is guidance. They need advice. They need other therapies. Mm. Reassurance, that kind of thing. Reassurance, that kind of thing. Mm. And then finally, the other thing as well is I am very picky about who I operate. Now, I mean, technically, honestly, half the patients that come through my door, I could do something. Mm. You know, I mean, these are not crazy patients coming to see me and spend money, you know, for no reason. There's something troubling them. Mm. But then I want to make sure that one, I can trust that patient to 
I can rest, you know, comfortably at night, like a baby, sleep like a baby, knowing that <laughs> I've had everything to mm. avoid an operation. Mm. And then thirdly, there's some people who aren't helping themselves. So mm. why am I going to help them? You know, yeah. they just, yeah. their expectation is, you know, is, you know, the kind of per- person is like, you know, I, I've got high blood pressure, give me a tablet. Or, mm. you know, I'm feeling down, give me a tablet. Mm. Or, yeah. you know, I've got pain, give me an injection. Or, you know what, my foot's not working, give me an operation. You yeah. know, just yeah. you do everything, you fix it. I don't want to take any responsibility. Mm. I, don't, I don't want that kind of patient. Yeah, so, and you, you find you don't get that that kind of patient because we we talk about it on the podcast and on our Instagram, like the biopsychosocial approach to pain and things like that. You know, and I'll just use an example, like a low socioeconomic, doesn't really want to engage with health, you know, not a great health literacy. It's, oh, I've got osteoarthritis, or, you know, I need fixing. Do you find that you don't get that kind of patient as much privately? They're more in the NHS system or is that? That's a really good question. Um. I, you know, I would, while it's easy to kind of say, oh, yeah, low socioeconomic class, mm. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, some of the, maybe it's because I'm from a working class background, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need to stand up for them. You know, mm. they're, they're really stoic. They can't afford to have time off. They need mm. to work. Mm. They're working, you know, week by week, paycheck by paycheck. Mm. And, you know, those kind of patients actually, if anything, kind of neglect a problem I'll just cope with it mm. sometimes it's actually the more affluent people who you know too posh to push kind of people who mm. are you know maybe Sydney north suburb type people you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know and I've got this problem fix it you know mm. they don't want to put it in hard graft I mean so yeah. I mean I'm, what I'm trying to say is you give one stereotype I could throw it back other stereotypes I think it's just generalized you know you can't generalize people are people there's yeah. some people yeah. who are very motivated and there's some people who aren't there's some people who've got realistic expectations and there's some people who aren't. And my one advice to all your listeners is that, you know, to be a good clinician of any sort, mm. you don't have to be just good at what you do. You need to be good at being a people person. You need to read mm. people. Mm. You need to almost be like a psychiatrist or psychologist. Read mm. people, read their backgrounds, see where they're coming from. What other issues are there? You know, the, those anxious people that you want mm. to just label as crazy, wearing the tinted glasses. There's always some other baggage, some other shit in the background. Mm. You know what? And I, and I take my time just like digging and poking and scratching, and suddenly, boom! This avalanche <laughs> it just comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh shit! Thank God I didn't rush into an operation on this one. Because mm. You know what? They, they're they're going to have the poor outcome. Mm. You know? And while surgery might be and and you know indicated. You need to also think about who are the winners and who are not going to be the winners. And if yeah. they're not going to be winners, what are the issues that you can deal with or help them with? And sometimes, you know, I end up feeling like I'm giving them, you know, work advice or stress advice or nutritional advice or sleep advice or stress mm. management advice. But that's where, you know, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor first and then mm. I'm a surgeon and then I'm a fit ankle specialist. And, mm. you know, I think I've got good outcomes because I work like that. I don't have this tunnel vision. Oh, yeah, yeah, that needs an operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny that, that you mentioned that and it's, it's incredibly insightful to see. And, and that's why we, you know, wanted to do this podcast is to show, you know, the, the students as well as people in their first 10 years that, 
it's not all, I guess, the biomechanical, you know, treating people like a car, this needs fixing now and understanding that there's so many other psychosocial factors. So it's incredible to, to hear. Do you, and I was, I just finished a, a day teaching at the university and I was talking to the students, you know, about us recording this tonight. And one of the, the younger students, she was in her second year, asked me a really, really good question that I wanted to ask you before we get into to this is a consult for you or an initial consult because we were talking about, because I've got the exams coming up, how we go from, you know, subjective to objective to assessment to treatment and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. what does an initial consult look like for you? Like, let's say something generic, it's common. I, I think it's common, like an adult-acquired flat foot. Would that be something commonly you see? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so if someone preferred to you, they've tried orthotics, they've tried strength and conditioning, footwear, everything. How does, how does that kind of go? And obviously it, it's hard to say because individual, but... Yeah. So just to put it into context, I'm almost 47. Okay, I'm going to be 47 mm. in July. Right, you don't look um, a day over 25. I'll give you that. Yeah, You yeah, can't yeah, see yeah. it on the audio, guys, but he's young. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, um, it's been a journey. You know, I've been a doctor mm. since 22. Mm. So what is that? Wow, 25 years. It's a long time. Fuck. Yeah, I, I'm, right. 20, I'm 26. So you've barely been a doctor more than a year, and I'm a year younger. Crazy. I could be your dad. Just, just, <laughs> yeah. just think about that. Think about that, <laughs> right? So, yeah. I mean, like, um, yeah. I mean, it's so. What I want to say is, like, it's been, it's constantly evolving. Mm. My consultation this year is different from what I was doing last year. Mm. You know, because as I grow and develop and appreciate different things, I'm learning to finesse. It's a constant. You know, you're, you're constantly improving what you're doing. And mm. I'd hope most people are, do, are doing that. I, you know, I like to push myself. I always want to better myself. I always, always want to learn new things. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and you were taught in med school, you know, take history and the mm. history is presenting complaint, you know, symptoms, past medical history, drug history, mm. you know, social history, then examination, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's kind of evolving now for me. It's really evolving. So let's say, how, how do I start off my history? So first of all, I go, hi, hi, hi. Um, and I'm David, thanks for coming to see me, blah, blah, blah. Um, so what brings you here? What is the issue? How can, mm. What can I help you with? And I just let them talk. Mm. And I just, I don't try not to interrupt and listen to them. A lot of people just want to get things off their chest. Mm. And the, the art as a clinician is sifting through the gump and holding on to what's important. And the moment someone starts saying, oh, and I saw this person and they said, I've got, I go, no, no, no. I don't want to hear another diagnosis. I don't want to hear medical terminology. Do not introduce bias. I, you want my opinion, not someone mm. else's. Um, and then try and get details because quite often people, people just jump through things. Mm. So for example, mm. I had someone yesterday who went, oh, you know, I tripped six weeks ago and then it's not got better. It got better, but then it didn't get better. And yeah, I thought I should come and see you. And my, my physio thought I should see you. Okay. And that, that was the opening line. And I was like, yeah, whoa, yeah. Let's, let's roll right back. When yeah. you say trip, what actually happened? Mm. Were you able to wait bear? Was there any swelling? Where was the swelling? Where was mm. the bruising? Oh, inside and outside ankle. How soon were you able to walk comfortably? Okay, two weeks. When you say it was like almost normal, what did that actually mean? What do you mean by that? Mm. And then, you know, so then I, you know, I try and 
And then some of them, you know, go, oh, wow, there's a lot of questions. I'm like, look, it's not an interrogation. In reality, <laughs> yeah. You're a blank canvas. Mm. And some people will volunteer lots of <clears throat> pain and, and fill in all the gaps. And I can, and, you know, or the jigsaw puzzle and I'll give me lots of pieces to play with. Other people, you know, it's very difficult. And I have to, I have to get extract that. Because the truth is, like, you know, 90, 95% of the time, just the history, a good history from a patient will tell me the diagnosis. Yes, I had, I said this to a student today that was talking about some forefoot stuff and she thought it was a stress fracture and an old, an old lady that, that doesn't do too much. But we, um, I said, you know, with a good history, you can rule that out for, for sure. So that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. And then, for example, or a runner, you know, so, yeah, I just want to let you know I'm a runner and I, I run a lot. So I start going foot pain. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, stop, stop. How long have you been running? For? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do your runs look like? Yeah. What's the distance and duration? What's the frequency? What's your targets? Is it pace? Is it speed? Or are you recreational? Is oh, it so you, yeah. you know, then, you know, do you do any other form of exercise? And oh, God, 90 percent of runners are like, yeah, I run. And then mm. what else? Do you do? Oh, I, I do like two short runs a week and then one long run. <laughs> yeah. Any other kind of, sometimes mm. I do interval training, often mm. it's road, sometimes I do cross country. I'm like, any other, well, I mean, that's a lot. I'm like, well, what you've described so far in terms of a healthy diet is you eat an apple every day and mm. apples are healthy, mm. but all you ever do is an, eat an apple and sometimes mm. it's a red gala and sometimes a granny smith. <laughs> yeah you're not giving me yeah. any other diet so mm. no this isn't healthy and then they look at me and go oh wow if you put it like that mm. should i be doing other types of exercise yeah. i'm like should i squat yeah. calf raise no no <laughs> i better not i'll just foam roll yeah so you know it's all about you know as a as a clinician whatever you are whatever background you're a detective mm. and sometimes you'll be given lots of clues which is great mm. More often than not, you've got this person who's really holding on to all the clues and you kind of have to extract them, get them out, get them mm. out. And then mm. the examination is kind of like homing in and confirming your suspicions. Mm. And an investigation is converting what is up until that point expert pub chat into <laughs> you know, hard objective data. I like that, yeah. Yeah, and then, <laughs> you know, either, you know, Confirming the diagnosis, grading the severity of it, um, helping monitor either disease progression, deterioration, or mm. recovery. Mm. Okay, yeah. so more than better than one test is actually multiple tests. Sometimes, say mm. for example, fracture healing or whatever, because you've got one that one data point. Every investigation will add more data points, and then you yes. can start yeah. creating a trend. Mm. Now, I talked about there being five to ten percent of patients where at the end of the history, I'm like, I don't have a fucking clue. Well, yeah, exactly. I had that yesterday. Would you, uh, on that topic, would you, how would you like say that? Because I know early on in my career, I struggled. Now I, I don't so much, but I know younger clinicians definitely struggle just saying, listen, I don't know. And the way I generally I work is, um, you know, we, we, might, we might not yeah. know what the diagnosis is. I'm very confident to rule out anything underlying and sinister. And what we can do is treat the pattern. If it doesn't respond, we can do this, this, and this. No, this no, 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 don't do that. Don't treat the pattern. Don't treat the pattern. If it's, it's mechanical? So cool. No. Oh, I mean, I'm all ears. I've got this. This will be the, the, the tagline. You know a guy called Anthony Bourdain? Anthony Bernate. No, I've seen that rings a bell for some reason. Oh, well, it's because you're a young kid. That's why. Anthony <laughs> was, right. was, 
was an amazing American chef, mm-hmm. tattooed rock star, rebel, travel cook, mm-hmm. commentator on life. I can truthfully say I had serious man love, man crush in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sadly, he died a few years ago. He took his own life. Like the greatest people out there, you know, they're troubled souls as well. Mm. Anyway, he, on a visit to Glasgow, my hometown, said, Glaswegians don't do bullshit. And I'm telling mm. you right now, I don't do bullshit. Bullshit, so, right. I don't do bullshit. So, you know, I will see patients, five to 10% of my patients, I'll be like scratching my head thinking, what the fuck is going on here? You know, their, their symptoms are atypical. Mm. I can't make head or tail of what's going on. And oftentimes people will either discount these people as crazy. Mm. Oh, that's crazy. Person. Oh, yeah. well, I don't know what's wrong. I don't see anything. I don't see what the problem is. They're crazy. No, 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 no. They're atypical symptoms. Not everyone presents with typical symptoms. Mm. And there's nothing wrong in admitting you don't know. Mm. And I will put my hands up and I'll say to the patient, look, I really appreciate you came to see me. Um, and I know you've come to see me because I'm apparently the expert and you've looked mm. me up. But I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I've been doing this a long time. I don't know what this is. Mm. I don't know. This is a weird one. And I could bullshit you an answer if you want one, but I'm just plucking something out of my head. Mm. And, you know, it's a complete lie. Or I can be honest with you and say, I believe you have something wrong with you but your symptoms are not typical and I'm not hundred percent sure what's going on. I'm therefore going to order tests and investigations to hopefully unmask the situation and provide us with a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Normally I use tests and investigations to confirm the diagnosis, grade the severity of it, blah, 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 mm-hmm. plan treatment. But in your case, I'm, I'm holding on to that investigation to give me the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. There's even another chance that the diagnosis, the investigation will come back negative. In which case, we're, we're in a bit of a pickle. Mm. And, and either what we do is we just call it quits and say, let's just sit on this for a while and see what happens. Maybe order another investigation in a few months' time to see if that the, the problem presents itself at that point. Or we get a second opinion and I send you to a colleague mm. and we discuss your case. Or if it's really unusual, I'll take it to a multidisciplinary meeting that we have like every two months. And all the surgeons bring their problem cases, their weird cases together. Mm. Um, and and you know what the patients all of them say thanks mr malik really appreciate your honesty i've had people in the past who've just bullshitted me and i can read right through them it's mm. really refreshing to hear someone say i don't know mm. i don't like it bullshit. yeah don't i like bullshit. it oh I'm i didn't very... say to you one of the other things i say in the history and examination is you know when they i go after, after they've given their little spiel mm. i say um what do you want from me mm. Yeah, I do like that. I like that. Or what, you know, like, yeah. What, what is this what pain you stopping want, you from doing? Yeah, what? No, I go, yeah. What do you want out of this consultation? What do mm. you want out of me? And, and they go, what do you mean? Sometimes, sometimes they'll come off the bat. Oh, well, I, you know, I really want to know the diagnosis. Mm. Or, oh God, I just want to get better. I want to get back running. Some patients will turn around to me and say, what do you mean by that? Mm. And I will say, well, do you want me to give you a diagnosis? Do you want to know what you can do and what you can't do? Do you, do you want me to make you better? What, what do you mm. want from me? I like you know, that. Do you, do you want an operation? What do you mm. want from me? Um, and, and, and some of the patients will be like, oh, you know what? Do you know, I've been through the mill. I've seen three specialists. I've done this, this, this. I just want an operation. And I've looked you up. People mm. have spoken about, I just, can you please operate on me? Like, okay, well, that's good to know. Mm. And the other people that, oh, I really don't want an operation. 
Mm. And the reality is because if you don't ask them what they want, how are you going to satisfy them? How are you going to make them happy? Mm. Because you want a happy patient. Because mm. the key to life, my friend, is happiness. <laughs> that was really stark. You couldn't say it's I said, yeah, I like it. You want to be happy. You want to enjoy your job. You want to be happy with your wife, partner. You want to be happy with your kids. You want your patients to be happy. You want everybody to be fucking happy. So you need to ask them, mm. what is it they want from you so you can make them happy, you know? Because yeah. everybody wants to lose. Yeah, I, I really do like that. And one thing I've started to in the, kind of the last several months is because when you ask that question, you straight away know where their motives are and kind of what, what they want. Because you might think, okay, this... Um, so this person wants to get back to running. That's what their pain stopping them from doing. But it's like, oh, I can't play with my grandkids or I can't play with my kids. So understanding what kind of what they want from you or what the pain stopping them from doing. Would you say it's something kind of similar to that? Because you can definitely do something that they don't even want or care about. Exactly, exactly. Mm. You might be going off thinking, I know what's best and I'm going to do mm. this. And, and they're like, they're so not interested in that. So yeah. like what the heck you know unless you know what their expectations are and what their desires and wants are you won't be able to satisfy them yeah and you know it's like i learned this stuff you know off the tangent but for example you know with relationships we've all got different languages of love did you know that mm. yes you know, how yeah. my how my wife perceives me loving her is very different for me her language of love is service so if i mm. empty the dishwasher and cook her a meal oh my god i'm getting some Whereas for me, <laughs> yeah, our, yeah. our um, cleaning up and doing stuff, you know, access service doesn't mean jack shit to me. If I wanted mm. someone to do I'd have, I'd have a maid. You know, I don't are, you a, are you a quality time man? Or you're, what are you? Great. I'm, I love the fact you know the language of love. I'll be honest with you. Most people have one language of love. I'm a greedy, greedy. <laughs> you haven't got all five, have you? you can't I, I, just, yeah, I, I, I want quality time, which is one of the yeah. reasons I took up running so I could go running with my wife. I love mm. quality time mm. and that that can be doing even the mundane thing but as long as it's in the presence of my wife mm, yeah yeah love, love it love it you know not not having that phone on you know what the rule in our house is you come home right mm. you, you put the phone in the kitchen counter you turn it upside down you leave it mm. and you only check it just before you go to bed any important messages turn on the alarm and that's it all mm. right so quality time words of affirmation listen yes. i've got seated yeah. insecurities and my imposter syndrome and you know, i need <laughs> i need her to tell me i'm amazing <laughs> yeah. there's this like physical it. touch you know just holding my hand stroking my neck up mm. yeah i'm so, yeah i'm the same on the physical touch watching tv and things like that if you're on the other side of the lounge it's not happening it's not happening. Yeah. It's gonna be it's something it's gonna be even if it's a foot touching, it's gonna be something. It's good. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Like but the thing is, like, you know, if if we don't know each other's language of love, you know, mm. you could be giving all the love in the world. And you think I, it's yeah. And I won't be loved. You know, my you know, it was early on in our relationship. My wife was like, Right, well, she come home and just like busy cleaning up everything and tidying up. And I, I'm I'm sitting in the corner thinking I, I don't feel loved. Is it what the yeah, and she thought, me. yeah, yeah. And but because that's her language of love, so that's another mm. mistake people make. Because that's her language of love, she thinks what I want is the same, mm. and that's mm. coming back to her history taking and her expectations. You might think, right, I'm going to do this for the patient because that's what I would want, and I'm going to make mm. them. And the patient's looking at you, going, uh, "Good for you, but that's not what I want." Yeah, and so, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so I figuring agree. out right from the beginning. What does your patient want? Because don't assume anything mm. because everybody wants different things. Yeah, yeah. I like it. All right, well, let's get to the crux of it. There's some really cracker questions. Now I've sent these through 
prior. And it's, I was having a look at these and after I sent them through, I really started to think about it because somebody or one of the students asked me opinion on a case of her daughter and she gave me a couple of sentences and I was like, it's really hard for me to make any kind of comment at all. I don't have a history, an assessment or anything. So when I had a look at these questions, I was like, this is really subject specific, but I mean, have your, your best crack at that. So I've got okay. here, um, what, what's your opinion on non-operative Achilles and operative Achilles for an active person? And we'll just use the example of someone that plays sport, recreational, touch footy, soccer, and someone that, you know, just wants to walk here and there. Yeah, so I mean, so non-optive management is is really a good option um, mm. and in some cases a better option for a lot of people right mm. so if it was my achilles tendon rupture um if i got it picked up quickly i had an ultrasound scan in equinus i've got a gap of less than 10 millimeters i'd get it into a vacuped boot you know mm. not not one and not an ear cast with wedges and an actual mm. hinged mm. boot mm. um and i'd start function early functional rehab Okay. Yeah. Would I want uh, a trainee surgeon um, doing an open Achilles tendon repair in the NASH, you know, at eight o'clock at night with no consultant supervision, yeah. cobbling together my fucking tendon, getting yeah. infected? Fucking no fucking way. Mm. Right. Yeah. No, 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 no. But, 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 but. If I've got a gap of 20 millimeters, the next scan shows there's even more retraction. Is that that the gap between the rupture or in, in yeah. yeah yeah between the two ends between the two ends of the yeah. tendon? Yeah, the gap is big. And when I do non-optic management, I like to do weekly um, um, ultrasound scans to make sure that the the tendon gap isn't increasing. Does that mm. make sense? Mm. Yeah. Um, and I don't want that. I don't want the tendon gap increasing. Now, if, for example, um, the gap starts to increase or it is big to start off with, I, I, want, I want an operation. I want an operation. Mm. And if it was someone like me who is a specialist and knows what they're doing, then, yeah, I, I, mm. want, I want an operation because mm. it will be a small incision. It will be percutaneous. I'll be able to load. I'll be able to move my foot and ankle straight away confidently. Mm. I'll be able to activate my calf complex. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to minimize muscle wastage. I'm going to start weight bearing within two weeks and be out of a boot within like four or five weeks and hopefully return to sport in four or five months. Yeah. You know? Wow. That's quick. Yeah. Really yeah. quick. Mm. And not worry about re-rupture, blah, blah, blah. So it, it's all relative, you know, who's doing mm. it, who's, what are the circumstances? It's so nuanced. So, I, you know, half my patients I treat non-optically mm. and half my patients I operate on. And, if someone is like, and I'll offer my patient, I will give my patient the choices. I won't make the decision. I'll say, look, these are the, these are the pros and cons of each option. Mm. You know, what do you want? And there'll be some people who will be like, oh, I really don't want an operation. You know, you tell me the gap is looking good. I'm like, yeah, great. So I can start early weight bearing and functional rehab. Yes. We just mm. have to go a little bit careful. Have to get, have lots of ultrasound scans to make sure it's all knitting together and you're not mm. over lengthening. So it, it does, it knits back together. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's wow, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah so the clot, the clot will mature, it'll get replaced with fibrous tissue, and then you'll get tendon, you know, mm. reforming. Yeah. And what you don't want is it to heal over lengthened mm. because then you have no propulsion. Mm. Just imagine you've got a bit of tension on a rope and you put mm. slack into it. It doesn't matter how hard you pull, 
if they're slacking that rope, you're gonna you're not gonna achieve any mm-hmm. yeah. on the other end. You yeah. need a bit of tension. So if it's over lengthened, your calf will just disappear. You won't have mm-hmm. any propulsion. You won't have any push off strength. Yeah. So you want to yeah. avoid over lengthening. Now that comes back to your you know therapists. Mm. Quite often, you know, they use range of motion as an outcome measure. Right. Mm. Oh, this is this is limited movement. That's what normal movement is on the contralateral side. I'm going to get full movement. I'm going. We're going to. Mm. No, 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 no. Yes, that's yes, good. Right. Yeah. It's not a race because if you try and over lengthen, try and get achieve full range of motion, particularly in dorsiflexion, all you're going to do is over lengthen the Achilles, mm. and then you're they've got no power. Their muscle will not ne- will never mm. you know reverse the wastage and then you're in trouble yeah so and more capa- capacity building like strength obviously strength and conditioning is usually the i would say probably the most evidence-based therapy out of all musculoskeletal conditions but 100%. more focusing on the capacity rather than range of motion massage needling all that kind of stuff you know to try and get that extra centimeter which it's just arbitrary really like what do you need that for so I, a lot of my patients at week one will start theraband exercises so mm. isometric or going into plant flexion yeah. So they'll be doing movements in plant flexion um, and going up to end range at dorsiflexion. So wherever their, their foot wants to get to, yeah. but they're not forcing it. And then in the boot, they're slowly going down from 30 degrees of kindness to 25 every four or five days, they drop it. Yeah. And then, you know, then into mm-hmm. a shoe, a heel to toe drop of five millimeters. Yeah. Um, but they're trying to just avoid that over dorsiflexion because it just stretches you out. Mm. And a lot of it is just the strength building, you know, resistance work mm. on that calf complex and lower limb yeah. muscles. So it's more, anyway. by the sounds of it, it sounds more related to, which I assumed it would be, it's the presentation rather than you're more likely to enjoy sport and you're less likely to re-rupture if you have it, um, if you have surgery. Rather, it's really how it presents and the gap between you know the rupture and exactly. the it's, it's everything it's you know what the patient wants as well so you know i'll have a mm. patient who wants to get back to you know county cricket or whatever mm. they need to get training or you know all this kind of stuff so they'll be they want to rehab faster they want they just they just want to get going mm. then there'll be other patients who are like oh you know what i'm quite happy there's no rush i just want to get back you know if you're mm. telling me i can have non-optive management let's do it and they do really mm. well. Mm. Um, but, you know, if someone's been walking on their foot uh, with a rupture for two weeks, they've got a gap of four mm. centimetres, you know, I'll be getting off the fence and saying you need an operation. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, and which, which leads me to, um, I wanted to ask a question. I was thinking about this during the week and, and similar kind of presentation, but in the forefoot, because I think from a podiatrist standpoint and probably strict, not strictly podiatry, but podiatrists definitely treat a lot of those fiddly forefoot, bursitis, neuromas, capsulitis, plantar plate and, and that kind of thing. You know, what, what would be the most common, I guess, um, presentation you would see for a forefoot or get referred for? Is it neuromas? Is it capsulitis? So I get, I get, no, I think by the time people come to see me, um, with forefoot stuff, it's mm. mainly bunions or arthritis mm. of the big toe. Yeah, I okay. see people with lesser toe deformities. I've just done something, um, a butler's deformity. It's when you've got hyperextension clawing of the fifth toe. It's a kind of congenital problem. Mm. Um, I did that recently. Um, Morton's neuroma, I can't remember the last time I cut one out. Yeah. Um, I don't even inject them, to be honest. I offer them one injection under ultrasound guidance. I don't want to be the one injecting them. Yeah. Um, plantar plate I, I've seen one recently again I'm taping him there's evidence mm. to show if you tape them up 
three months. Yeah, with um, the plantar flexor. And like that's plantar flexor taping, even a met dar, met, met dome, and exactly. maybe a rocket shoe generally works pretty well. All of that, all mm. of that, all of that. Absolutely. You know, a lot of these will end up healing and recover. Yeah. So, mm. you know, um, look, Martin's neuroma, I'm always thinking what's caused this? You know, what's mm. caused irritation to this nerve? And I think it's hilarious that anywhere else in the body where there's irritation of the nerve, where would you cut the nerve out? You know, why would you do that? You wouldn't cut the nerve out. You know? Yeah. So I don't really like cutting the nerve out. I just, no thanks. You know, mm. um, I always think, well, what is going on? I mean, like 90% of people that I see are wearing shoes far too tight, mm. too small. You know, um, if you're a four foot runner and you, you know, your nails are falling off and your training shoes, your, your toe, big toe and mm. your low toe are right up against the shoe. Mm. I mean, uh, that's a no brainer, mm. you know, um, adjust your footwear yeah. get an orthotic in there if need be if you've got tight calf muscles re- mm. reduce that because that increases forefoot loading mm. if you're you know a forefoot runner maybe transition to mids yeah mid to, or heel strike you know whatever yeah. just you know a steroid shot is not a benign intervention number of complications i've seen from steroid shots mm. from tendon ruptures plantar plate ruptures toe mm. dislocations you know fat pad atrophy mm. really horrendous fat pad atrophy yeah. You know, it goes on mm. and on and on. You know, these are not benign interventions. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a... I, I explain it to patients like a spectrum of, of one side, you know, this is chopping off your foot and here's doing nothing. You know, we follow things in a nice logical order, you know, footwear, orthotics, offloading, modification, you know, steroid injections are down this end, near surgery. So we don't yeah. jump mm. all the way over to there and then go backwards. What yeah. do you... For, for bunions, because I know, do you do... Now, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. I know there's keyhole, and is it a not a colectomy? There's something that they, a keyhole procedure? What do, what do you do for, for bunion surgery? So it depends. So bunions are like yeah. a fruit basket, okay? You got blueberries and you got watermelons. You, know? <laughs> you can't just put them all down as, you know, just yeah. in one thing. And it's yeah. not even apples and pears. It's a proper fruit basket. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. This year at the British Orthopedic Fit and Ankle Society meeting, there's a paper presented that showed that the size of your bunion has no relation to your symptoms. People have, mm. I've seen patients with massive bunions. You know, I agree. Like their, I would agree with that. Yeah. In their late seventies, horrendous. And they're like, oh, I've had this for years, dog. It's okay. Mm. You know, it doesn't bother me. I'm here about something else. I'm like, okay, wow. And then you've got, you know, people who've got the smallest bump and are crying. <laughs> with pain. And, yeah. You know, so, you know, mm. it's funny. It's funny that. So, but also pain is so subjective and so mm. very, uh, really still, you know, confuses me. Pain is just, something i just don't understand it's murky mm. world it's very complex yeah but for mild bunions and you know you i would do something called a scarf and aching osteotomy so it's a distal osteotomy it's not minimally invasive but it's a small incision it's a mini incision it's not very big and mm. um, where there's a massive deformity a very big im angle mm. where there's hypermobility at the tmt joint Mm. I think it's a lapidus, which is fusing. Yeah, that's the one. Sorry, that, yeah, that's one I was thinking. It's yeah. a beautiful operation. It's, a, it's such a good operation. Mm. Um, sometimes I get caught up. I think, yeah, I'll do a scarf and aching. I'll get a great correction, and a year later, the bunion's back, yeah. and somehow I didn't pick up, or it wasn't obvious that they had first TMT joint instability, mm. and because. If you imagine, you know, the leaning terapies, you know, the leaning terapies, yeah, yeah. you know, if you're correcting the tower at the top, breaking the, you know, the top three floors and shifting it across, you're not really addressing the problem, which is like, oh. what am I 
I like that. I like that for like hypermobile midfoot patient, and you might be talking about trying to stabilize their forefoot. I like that analogy. You need, yeah. you need to. You need to. You need to correct the base. You need to fix mm. the base. You know what? Doing something at the top end. Yeah. Okay. You might get the top floor over the base, mm. but it looks fucking weird. It's not right. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to stay there. And it's got, and it might carry on. It might carry on going. Mm. What you if you want to really fix that, you need to straighten up the whole building. And that's then at the bottom, that's at the TMT joint, you know? Yeah. Do you think, I mean, and it's always hard because the number one question I tend to get, you know, sometimes when they're painful, sometimes when they're not painful is, you know, what's caused this? Generally, and please correct me if I'm wrong, and I hope I'm going to have to say the wrong thing. I say that we don't really have a great idea. We think there's definitely a genetic component to develop the development of bunions, and as well, there's an environmental component, whether that be footwear or what environment the shoes have been in. Now, this is what I've been adding in the last six months, is I, I have read a paper that they have they hypothesize that there may be an increased risk in hypermobility. Is that wrong? Have you heard that? No, no, no. I mean, the funny thing is, hypermobility is a big thing, but mm. it's not. It's not the majority of my bunions. Yeah, no. okay. I would probably say it's around about five, ten percent of the bunions I see. Okay, okay. And this, and you're right. We don't really know why people get bunions. I mean, mm. there's definitely a genetic component. The number of mm. patients that say, "Oh, my mom's got this," my aunt's yeah. got this. Yeah, very, very common. So there's a genetic component to it. Um. And then, I mean, the thing, there are conditions like rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory conditions that can cause it as well. And mm. um, there's also the chicken and egg situation. You know, if you mm. develop an acquired flat foot, it will cause a bunion. Mm. But a bunion will also cause your arch to collapse. <laughs> so, yeah, which one is it? I, mean, I know your viewers can't see this, but let me just demonstrate on this table. Yeah. No, well, I'm, is, I'm recording the video as well, so I'll put this on the Instagram. You know, if this is left foot, right foot, and you know, and that's the heel bone, mm. and that's the big toe, that's a little toe. You know, if if you develop a bunion, mm. what's happening to the arch? Mm. Yeah, the arch is going to collapse in. Mm. But equally, if the arch collapses, it will force your big toe into mm. valgus and you get a bunion as well. Yeah. So it's very important to always ask the patients, you know, what came first? Did you develop mm. a bunion first and then your arch started to drop? Or did your arch drop and then you could, and, you know, I've got a patient like this and he's not sure, he's not really sure which, but the reality is um, he's got hypermobility in his first TMT joint. What I'm going to mm. do is give him a lapidus. He needs a mm. lapidus. Mm. Even though the bunion isn't massive, it's a moderate bunion and I could do a scarf and aching. And I think I'm, he's got hypermobility, instability yeah. in that medium column. I need to, I need to fuse it. Yeah. That on its own might be enough to address the arch, but his hind foot's also going into valgus because he's got an Achilles contracture, you know, mm. calf complex time. So I'm going to do some form of gastroc lengthening. Mm. So I'll do a gastroc lengthening, I'll do a lapidus, I'll then see what he's like on the table. If I'm still not 100%, I might then put a sinus tarsite implant in just to... Oh, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, that fall over. healing neutral. Um, yeah. I won't do the full shabam, calc, osteotomy, FDL mm. tendon, transverse yeah. spinal... That's not his pathology. He's not got any disease in the medial ankle. Yeah. But his hind foot does need to be neutral mm. and his Achilles needs to be lengthened and his medial column needs to be stabilized. Mm. So see how it's a little bit more complicated bunion than just doing a scarf and aching osteotomy. And mm. if I did a scarf and aching osteotomy on him, his flat-footedness will not improve. It'll only get worse. 
and he will get a recurrent, recurrent bunion. And he's just yeah coming back in. What well, what's you know, the sorry can you go? No no okay. On, on just on that topic, talking about if you didn't do that, you know, it, it's quite possible that he would have, you know, ongoing issues. Is there a role for custom orthotics and that kind of presentation with that kind of midfooter and TMJ? Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Guess what the outcome for this patient is? What? So I offered non-optive and optive treatment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the pros and cons. Mm. And he said, what do you recommend? And I said, well, I don't like to recommend to my patients. I like patients to just come to their own conclusion because if if they're asking me that question, they haven't done the research, they yeah, haven't read yeah. the information I've sent. And you know, I, it tells me that you're not able to make an informed decision. So I need to go back to informing you. And he went, no, no, I know, I know, I know. But just, you know, and they, they really push you. It was your <laughs> wife. I said, look, the safe option is, I think the fact that you're asking me this tells me that you're not ready for surgery. Mm. And, and he started nodding and I, and I was like I, I, I can sense that you're not keen on surgery went, I'm not I'm not I mean well it's very simple then we're going to do non-optive management you're going to see a physio for stretching out your calf muscles you're going to see a podiatrist for custom orthotics to you know he- hold your heel in neutral and support mm. your medial arch you're going to wear wider fitting shoes with a deep toe box to accommodate your bunion and we're going to see you again in six months time with another set of x-rays we're going to see if your bunions progress. We're going to see if your flat-footedness has got worse. We're mm. going to see what your symptoms are like and whether you're tolerating non-optive management. And if you are, you carry on, and maybe I'll just see you every couple of years. And if you're not, and it's not working, and you're still in pain, and you're and, it, and there's deterioration on the x-rays, we can think about surgery. Um, mm. And the fact that we've done this, you know and I know that we've tried everything to avoid an operation. And if we come to the cl- conclusion that surgery is required, you know, it's because it was required. Because mm. I love that plan. Let's do that. So yeah. That's what we've done. Yeah. That's what we've God, done. that um that podiatrist will be sending you a, a Christmas present this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. We joke about it on the podcast all the time. It's it's gotten to the point. Yeah, it's it's just it's common in every profession. I don't get anything from anyone. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> I swear to God, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Do you do you think like obviously foot and ankle things, and we always the the, the I guess the crux of what our profession, as in podiatrists, tend to give other professions problems in the the sense that we over prescribe custom orthotics. Yourself having a, a pretty in depth understanding of biomechanics and, and foot and ankle movement and things like that, do you tend to gravitate towards you know customs versus prefabs orthotic? prefab orthotics like the ones are already made and you modify them what do you think so so i have recently i about nine months ago started offering orthotics Mm -hmm. so i'm using the gate motion technology Mm -hmm. dynamic play and i'm using fits p-h-i-t-s orthotics Mm -hmm. custom not for everyone and the way i also do it is i think you know non-optic treatment is this orthotic Mm -hmm can provide it for you here's the literature information here's mm. the cost or you can shop around and go see another podiatrist and they can provide as long as it's this this is what you need mm. why am i why am i doing this um because i've been let down by a lot of people mm. yes and that's that's common it's a common thing and i just want to make it clear not just podiatrists i get mm. let down by fucking everyone you know <laughs> i set a very yeah. high bar myself like I'm really critical of myself. I want to do better, but equally I, I set a high bar on everyone else too. 
Mm. And I've been really disappointed by a lot of podiatrists who haven't provided people with what I've asked. You know, someone with severe arthritis in their big toe, they, they need an orthotic with a mortis extension. Mm. The patient comes back after two years and I go, oh, yeah, did the orthotic help? And the, the guy goes, like, oh, it was it was made no difference. I'm like, really? Let me have a look. There's no Morton's extension. Yeah, because it's like the, the crux of doing an extension is it reduces the force. It can't not make a difference if you're getting pain in the big toe because you're reducing that moment. No yeah. And I'm like, what the heck? And like, yeah. And, you know, it was really expensive. It was a thousand mm. pounds. And I'm like, I don't really, it, it didn't make it. I'm like, thousand pounds? Yeah, yeah. And the number one thing I hear is, oh, yeah, they told me that it has to be made in Canada or it was made in Australia or it was made in America. Yeah. Like, the further away it was made, <laughs> this one was on the moon, so it's 2,000 pounds. Yeah. yeah, this was a special one that got shipped all halfway around the world. Like, Don't give me this fucking shit, right? Yeah. yeah. I know it, it costs you 80 to 100 pounds. Mm. Your markup is fucking horrendous. Yeah, and you're taking yeah. this guy for a ride. You know, yeah. don't give me the shit. But equally, look, I want to make it very clear to your listeners. I'm not having a go up dodge. I fucking yeah. everyone. You know, I yeah. sent a patient to a bone tumor surgeon because I thought there's something weird going on here. I think it's a simple bone cyst with a stress fracture, but it might be. There's a 1% chance it might be something more sinister. I'm going to send it to a bone tumor surgeon who will discuss it in an MDT and they'll let me. This guy, he's already on his second life, right? Because yeah. let me die already. So, you know, I yeah. always give people more than one chance. Yeah. And, um, you know, three weeks, didn't hear anything. The patient went to see him. He said he didn't have any of our letters. He didn't have the scans. He did. He didn't do his prep work. He was running late from surgery. He was rushing the consultation. Patients paid a lot of money and the, mm. the guy just wasted her time and didn't give me any letters. We were, patient and I were both hounding him for an answer. And, you know, four weeks later, we finally get, oh, yeah, it's a simple bonuses. And it was just a stress factor. <laughs> And but the, the whole time this patient who's already had melanoma is freaked out by cancer, mm, you know, yeah. stressing out. She's saying he's rude, his you know, even his secretary bad mouths him, mm. blah blah blah. You know, yeah, and you just yeah. this reflects badly on me, you know, because mm. I referred this patient to him. Yeah, it's on you. Yeah. It's yeah. on me. And you know, now I'm having to look, you know, now that's it, three lives, you're at. Mm. Boom. Three yeah. X's, you're at now, you know. Um, and full on me maybe i should be like once you let me down and never again mm. you know but i, yeah. I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt yeah so you know, it's not just pods um, or mm. physios it's surgeons it's colleagues you know mm. i had this anesthetist who you know pitched up late and you know he, he was a fill-in for one of my because my anesthetist had covid and couldn't mm. come so i got this other anesthetist to help out and on the day he cancelled two of the operations because, like, oh my God, this patient's on hypertensive medication and oh, they're on inhalers and oh, I think they need the cardiac echo. And I think they, need... I was like, why? Oh, no, no, I, I, it's not safe. This patient's really unwell and the patient's fucking fit and healthy. And yeah, he's yeah. Big anesthetist. I ended up cancelling two of my patients. I yeah. sent them to the cardiologist and, and the cardiologist literally stopped me in the car- corridor and went, why the hell did you send me those patients? They're perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. The anesthetist said, like the mm. ECG tracings were wrong. And he's like, are you kidding me? They're all fucking healthy as anything. Mm. And this, this anesthetist totally messed around my patients and mm. me. Do you think I'm ever going to use them again? No, no. no. And it's, yeah, it's, it's common. And it happens to, I feel like every health professional has had that experience and it makes it quite difficult because you want to work with them and you want to get outcomes together. But if you refer to them, I know an example, and I'll talk about myself here for a little bit where we work, 
we work with a lot of physios, um, physios, chiros, osteos, massage therapists. And I think I'd like to think it's because we're really good, but probably not. It's just because we seem to be sensible. Like if somebody comes in with forefoot pain and they've only had it for a couple of weeks, you know, it's not always an indication, great, you need this $600 custom orthotic. Maybe we might do, you know, a prefab, which is about a hundred bucks with a little bit of a wedge on the outside. Generally, they can get better. And I don't think a custom as specific where you can argue that it has to be custom or it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah, just sensible yeah. and logical compared to if someone's got an adult acquired flat foot, you know, that's probably more like they might need a custom 100%. with a sky or a big flare. So yeah, it's, I'm happy to hear you say that. 100%. So I had a patient recently who came to, came to me and said, oh yeah, can you make me an orthotic? And you know, I looked at her foot and I was like, you don't need an orthotic. What you need is like, you know, more sensible shoes. You know, go to this company and they'll help you out. Just because I can offer them mm. doesn't mean I should. Yeah, and it's, whether it's an orthotic or injection or surgery. Mm. Now, we were almost out of time. You sent me some very important questions. Oh, I'd love to yes, answer. yes. Let's get into them. I but knew we were going to talk about the, that. Yeah, because yeah, you go I'm through You go through them. Let me quickly go through it. You said to me, like, what could our profession do better? What could, you know, young referrers and when mm. to refer, all that kind of stuff. Right. Like, I think it's better to refer early. Because, mm. you know, don't treat patterns, don't treat symptoms. I get that quite a lot. Um, and whether it's doctors or physios or pods, you know, people hate, hate to admit they don't know, hate to say they don't know what the diagnosis is. They'll give a bullshit mm. answer or they'll treat symptoms. Patient goes on and on, getting the same exercises, definition of insanity to keep doing the same thing, hoping for a different outcome. You know, mm. And they're not getting anywhere. You know, as a clinician, my, my role, my first primary role is to diagnose a patient. And you know what, having been a patient, I can tell you right now, just knowing what the fuck is going on is half the mm. battle. Mm. You're just knowing, oh, okay, that's what it is. Next, what can I do and what can I not do? Mm. Oh my God, that's so useful to know. Okay, so so running isn't going to make it worse. Great, I'll run. Mm. Oh, so I should rest it. Okay, how long should I rest it? You know, so getting the diagnosis provides you with a prognosis, mm. provides you with information, facts, details planning your therapy okay so get a diagnosis early and if you if you're not sure find a good clinician a a good surgeon and don't think that they're just going to operate on anyone and make it clear in your referral and get to know them meet them phone them visit their clinic and say look what i want from you my primary ask is help me get a diagnosis help me with diagnostics help me with this help Mm. me with patient management I'm not looking for a gung-ho surgeon who knife I like it. I like it. Yeah. Get, make it clear and yeah. build that relationship. And if they let you down, call them. Fucking mm. chop them out of your lives. Move on. Mm. Find someone else. Mm. And also the ones that are smooth talking, talk the talk, out mm. presenting, podiums, research. You know what? Half the time they can't fucking walk the walk. They can't. They yeah. can't operate. They cannot yeah. operate. You know, people who are who people who are good surgeons are just doing their craft. They're just getting mm. on with it. Okay, it's like yeah. everything in life, every walk of life. But build those relationships. Get off your ass. Meet them. And if you think, oh no, but I'm just, I'm just a look. No, you're not. You're never just anything. Mm. You're a clinician. You care about your patients. Have some self worth. Just because they're a doctor or surgeon doesn't mean they're God. And if you think that they're God, well, it's your fault for putting them up there, and that's why they're going to have those egos. Mm. And if you meet them. And they have got an ego and they do think they're God. Well, fuck them and just get them out of your lives and find someone who's mm. good. Wait, I like it. <laughs> I feel okay. I'm pumped up at the moment. It's good. This is really, really good. Fine. Just, you know what? Seriously, if the, if the doctor's an arrogant wanker, sorry, but they mm. narcissistic, weird, just get rid of them. Yeah. You've got the power. Just 
don't de- don't work with them. Mm-hmm. Find someone on the level. Find someone who's humble, who's got humility, who cares about the patient, who's got who's in sync with you, who thinks like you. Mm-hmm. Do it. Don't mm-hmm. undersell yourself. Yeah. Work like a team. And guess what? Your patients will love you. When you mm-hmm. say to them, you know, I'm going to phone my surgeon. I'm just going to pick their brains. I'm going to see whether I, this is worth a referral or not. I'll let you know what to say. I get yeah. this all the time. I've, I've got physios like literally halfway around the country who never refer to me, never. But they'll message me on WhatsApp and say, hey, I'm, how you doing, buddy? And, you know, I meet them from Instagram. I've mm-hmm. got this patient. I've got this kid. Blah, blah. What do you think I should do? And I'll tell them. I'll say like, yeah, send them to your local surgeon. Like, oh, thanks, Sam. And cheers a bunch. There you go. Yeah, yes. yeah. Have, have a nice relationship with people. Now, mm-hmm. next, oh, where do we go? I hate it when people hold on to patients. Yes. Yeah. We we harp on this on the podcast. We do like if oh, things aren't getting better, oh, they're not going to yeah. continue. You know, it's been six months. It's probably not. No, but not even that. Better. Not even that. Not even that. Things are getting better. Things are getting better. Fucking let go of them. You know, mm. if you're a physio and you're rehabbing someone post-op, you know what? Say, I think you're ready for a strength and condition coach. I think you're running for ready for a running coach. I think you're ready for a personal trainer now. You know, I hate it when the physio turns around to me and goes, oh, oh but I, I can do personal training. No, I, I can do the rank. I can do I can do the ultrasound scan. I can do the shockwave. I can do the orthotics. You can fucking do everything. Can't you? Well, you might as well do the operation. You do surgery you know, as well. Yeah. You just fucking do everything. I mean, what the fuck? You know, you, you sh- experts are experts for a reason. Don't be a jack of all trades. Work yeah. with your colleagues. And, you know, I hate the hierarchy of clinical arrogance and mm. superiority. You know, Surgeons think they're superior to doctors. Doctors think they're superior to nurses. Nurses think they're superior to physios. Physios think they're superior to pods. Pods think they're superior to sports therapists. Sports mm. therapists think they're superior to chiropractors. Chiropractors mm. think they're better than massage therapists. You know, it goes on and on. Yeah, and yeah. hell. Oh, my God. You know, I work with some pretty amazing personal trainers, and I can tell you, they turn around to me and say, look, actually, you know, I thought the surgeons would be the ones treating me like shit. It's the physios. They look yeah, down at it's us. that it's ego fearless. barrier, isn't it? Yeah. what the fuck the ego barrier you know so don't give me this thing it's like saying you know the white guys are racist when the black guy is racist to the chinese people you know we're all fucking racist mm, you know mm. racism isn't just between one type to another you know yeah. all races are racist mm. or potentially racist yeah and all therapists are potentially arrogant it, and yeah, ego driven so put your fucking ego aside Put aside your, you know, um, desire to have money and, you know, rape the patient with as many consultations as possible and think, no, what is in my patient's best interest? How can I help my patient? How can I get everyone around me with their and tap into their knowledge and expertise? Because I can't know everything Mm -hmm. and someone else will know something better than me and I'm going to work with them. And you know, when you work with this win-win mentality and put your ego aside you will thrive people know you're you're looking out for them patients will love you they'll send more patients to you other clinicians will love you and you will become so good at what you do it Mm. won't happen overnight it won't happen overnight but it will happen it will fucking happen but if you're like no 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 i'm gonna hold on i'm I'm not fucking sharing i'm possessive it's all about me i'm gonna be everything what the fuck i'm better than them Mm. Well, I ain't working with you. Yeah. And yeah. sooner or later, people are going to find you out. Yeah. And you can't be everything to everyone. 
for sure. Yeah, it's a horrible, yeah. lonely existence. So don't be arrogant. Don't be, have ego. Don't think you're better than anyone else. Because if you feel upset that the surgeon is being a wanker to you and treating you like shit, well, equally, you don't treat other people like that. Mm. Okay? Don't pass it on. Yeah. And the last thing I would say is communicate. Now, you asked about letters and correspondence. Yeah, yeah, like, because it's a common question and people get taught different things. Yeah. Universities I'll different. be very quick. I'll be yeah. very quick. Look, everyone's busy. No one's got time to sit down and put down a detailed letter and print it off on quality paper and mm. put it in a stamp <laughs> on it and post it. You know, times are changing. You mm. know, with the patient's permission, say, look, can I correspond with your clinician, your surgeon, whatever? Are you happy for me to email? Do you want to encrypted, unencrypted? Are you happy for me to WhatsApp? Do you want me to include you in the group? Can we do this? You know, can we just do one-liners? Can I pick up the phone and speak to them? Anything. The best relationships I have are with physios and pods who literally will just WhatsApp me and go, hi, saw your patient AM today, blah, blah, blah. They're doing really, really well. Just checking with you. Is it okay if I can do this? Mm. One liner back. Yeah, amazing. Yes, you can. Yeah. Oh, don't do that for another three weeks. That's it. You know, and they will think that little question isn't doesn't warrant a letter, and it doesn't. Mm. And most people will not bother communicating and will just go with the fly and make up their own shit. But the good clinicians will be constantly communicating and I'll be like saying, can, can you do this? And they'll be saying, can you do that? Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be asking them questions. Is this okay? They'll send me information back. And this information, communication is vital. Um, and anything is better than nothing. Yeah. And honestly, 90% of people I refer to, it's a desert. It's just a dust bowl silence, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah i know what you mean yeah you don't know what's happening they're your patients you've just done operations or non-operative like you want to know what's nothing. going on yeah and yeah. you know quite oftentimes i'll, I'll discharge patients early because like at the end of the day i don't want to be again i live by my own motto i don't want to be bringing people back unnecessarily for appointments mm-hmm. i know at three months at, at six months this patient's gonna be doing really well but at mm-hmm. three months they're not healed but at six months i don't want to see them just for them to tell me hey i'm doing really well so I'm relying on their therapist to be saying to, hey, by the way, just to let you know, patients doing really well now, I've discharged them as well. Mm. You know, and, and what they don't know is I'm keeping tabs with all my patients. I'm fucking messaging them anyway. So I'll ask my patients in six months, how are you doing? Oh, really well. I mean, oh, I was discharged a month ago. I'm like, oh, thanks, physio or whatever, mm. to, for letting me know. At first, I'm hearing of this. Or I'll be like, the patient will be like, yeah, I've got, an, I've got some pain. They've, they've recommended another 10 exercises. I'm like, all right, well, is it making any difference? I don't know. Like, I spent half the time just chatting about their extension. Mm. You know, I don't know if I'm really getting anywhere. I'm like, what the fuck? Get in my clinic. Let's find out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, You know, That's I'm important. Just, That's really important. Communication is important. Mm. Is that okay? Was this, I, I hope this was helpful. Yeah, mate, that was great. I'm really excited to really, really count. I think one thing I did want to add just to finish, wanted to ask you, for students, clinicians out there, how can they find you at London Foot and Ankle Surgeon on Instagram? You post some yeah. incredible content. You've got like 4,000 followers. You're basically an influencer at the moment. I'm not an influencer. <laughs> I, I don't think that's very much. All the people I'm following are like a million. I, I, I've never done it for followers. That, I've never done it for followers. I just want to get myself out there and yeah. share the love. Because you know? your content's digestible. In this, when I say digestible, in the sense of you can read read it and then you, I can implement it clinically or I've got an understanding when patients ask me, you've got this cracking post about 
the moon boot and the heel lift and how it looks on x-ray. It's awesome. Like you just don't learn that unless someone like yourself is, you know, is putting that content out there. So at London foot and ankle surgeon, and then yeah, get a follow and build up your, um, your profile, but you'll be able to retire yeah, well, soon and, and just start doing sponsorships. So actually I'm going to start a, a podcast, um, Doc Malik, Honest Health. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting everything together. It's going to probably go live in three, four months and it's going to have everything on it from, health nutrition wellness mental mm. health exercise where we source our food from clean wow. water it's going to be everything it's going to be everything make sure you, you, you send me a message because we'll have to share it around through here i mean we'll see how the, exactly. the australians take exactly. it but i'm sure they'll take it well well i don't know you australians might not like me because of my stance on covid and everything you guys have kind of gone crazy oh, um, it, yeah it's, we're, I, am, <laughs> I will make it clear to all your listeners Mm. I am one of those horrible anti-vaxxers. Someone mm. who's been vaccinated over 20 times in his life does not like the COVID vaccine. Mm. But you I, you're, you've got good reason. It's not um, It's not this the general, no, no reason or evidence to back it up. I'll give you that. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's the evidence is mm. that it's experimental, that there's a, a serious adverse effects. Mm. And, you know, we don't have safety data. And, mm. you know, I'm now at a stage in my life where, I'm thinking about everything that I put past through my lips, mm. where I get my water from, where I get my food from. Is it genetically mm. modified? Is, does it have pesticides? Is it organic? Mm. Is it healthy? Is it pasture fed? You know, mm. is it local, you know, seasonal food? And I'm meant to just take, you know, this genetic therapy that's just mm. out, out of some bench lab with no long-term data and just stick it in me, mm. which now doesn't stop transmission, doesn't stop infection, doesn't actually stop hospitalization. You need a mm. booster every six months. I mean, what vaccine have you ever heard of like this? Yeah, you know, none, none. You know, where? And mm. to justify all the lockdowns and draconian measures? No, no, no. no. I so think listen, I, I, I did read somewhere that orthotics helped that, night. Custom orthotics? Oh. Okay. And you've got to get four pairs for all your shoes. It has to be custom and you <laughs> need ones every three months. Yeah, and I'll replace, yeah, I'll look after that for you. All right, guys. Um, All right, lovely, mate, lovely to um to have you on.